everyone, to another episode of Magical Mystical Journeys. I'm Amy Renee, your practitioner of shamanic arts. And joining me are Katie, Andrea, and a special guest. Katie, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hey, everyone. This is Katie Valentine. I'm your resident Christian minister and metaphysical practitioner. So excited about our special human guest and our special divine guest today. And I am Andrea St. Amand, Evidential Psychic Medium. And yes, our beings, plural, are two of my favorite. Absolutely. And here with us is Amid, who joins us as we explore these two beings found and rooted in India and the Hindu religion. They are known as Shiva and Kali. Amid, would you like to introduce yourself? So namaskaram to all of you. Thank you for having me on this podcast. So my name is Amit. I am here. I got connected to your podcast through a friend of mine. Uh, So I'll give you a little bit of my background. I'm an immigrant to this country. I've been in this country about 20 plus, almost about 20 years. Um, I primarily came here to study and then, you know, ended up working here and then immigrating here. I do have family, extended family that lives here. Uh, But I primarily grew up in India and in the Hindu tradition, as you called it. I primarily, uh, for your listeners to know and understand from a caste perspective, um, I come from a Brahmin family, which means I'm a Brahmin. I was born into a Brahmin family. Uh, My family, again, is very ritualistic in terms of that we practice a lot of rituals within the traditions we are from. But at the same time, as I was explaining to Katie earlier, Um, My family is also very secular, secular in terms of that because my dad had a traveling job, we went around a lot of places, we got associated with people of different backgrounds, Uh, we got associated with people of different religions, different traditions, of course, not to mention different castes, cultures, and so on and so forth. So that's a little bit about myself. I'll talk a little bit about the spiritual, my spiritual journey. Uh, again, as I said, both my families, on both sides of my families, they are traditionalists. They are secular yet traditionalists, which means we follow a lot of rituals. We follow a lot of festivals. We follow a lot of, you know, how do I put this in terms of the word is karmakanda in Sanskrit. Karmakanda essentially means rituals. We are a ritualistic family. And my interest in the rituals developed at an early age. Um, I was just generally fascinated by it. So again, just as in a lot of traditions, a lot of people will follow rituals without really understanding them, without delving deeper into them, uh, understanding their significance. But but for me, I really wanted to understand that. And just for my own enrichment's sake, I sought whatever knowledge there was. I sought that out. I tried to absorb that. Uh, And as my journey has continued, as I've started becoming older and gradually understanding more of it, I'm trying to get deeper into it as much as I'm able to. And it was absolutely fascinating. Of course, the knowledge itself has enriched me in my understanding and not only understanding, but the practice itself. And through practice comes experiences. uh, And I have experienced some things here and there. I'm I'm by no means I can call myself a, you know, quote unquote, a guru or anything of that sort. But at the same time, I have been enriched with certain personal experiences that has resolved within me this conflict that I believe pretty much all human beings carry as to the most fundamental question is, what is beyond this? And, uh, you know, in certain experiences, I've been able to touch things here and there, experience things here and there. 
and that has made me more uh, how would I put this? That has made me more aware acutely that I need to seek this out even more. And through this, I got introduced to these two deities at a very early age in a different way. Now I've understood them in, in a more profound manner. There's, of course, much, much remains to be explored. Uh, but as I said, I'm happy to share that. Second part of it is I do conduct rituals for myself. I have, having lived in the United States, I have not given up that that tradition from my family. I conduct as many rituals as I'm able to, uh, given, of course, my limitations on time and resources and space with work and things like that. And if people call me, I'm happy to go to people's houses and perform those rituals as well. Uh, again, the element of secularism that I have grown up with has become stronger as I have as you know, as I've kind of delved into all these other cultures, come to a different country, where many limitations, many restrictions, many much orthodox orthodoxy or dogma that plagues, I've been able to kind of cut that, shorten it, or make it more inclusive. So those are some of the things about myself. And if this was a long monologue, I apologize for that. Thank you so much, Amit, for Thank being you. here with us. And we're here exploring Shiva and Kali today. Uh, can you share a little bit, like, I don't know if I want to call him a deity, an energy, a being. How would you describe uh, Kali and Shiva? And I will describe them as all three, a deity, an energy, and a being. For the most basic understanding, Shiva can be understood in three ways, as you just put. And I think I'm glad you put it that way. Shiva can be understood as a being. Whether human or not, we'll get into that. Shiva can be understood as a deity, and Shiva can be understood as energy. Now, there's very little difference between the deity and the energy. Same thing with Kali. She can be understood as a being, as a deity, and energy. But please keep in mind that the deity and energetic aspect are very much closely related. But for our understanding and discussion's sake, I'm going to keep these three entities separate. Shiva. So going back to the Sanatan or the Hindu cosmology as such, it is understood and experienced by wise sages and then many, 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 many beings, millions and millions of beings afterwards, that essentially our cosmos or this universe, how you want to call it, is nothing more than the play of energy. There is there's the base of energy, something that sprouts this energy. And then there's something that directs this energy. So let's so we in, in the Sanadan tradition or in the Hindu tradition, there is no central God God as such. The idea is that there is a creator. And essentially the creator is nothing more than just pure energy that is dormant. But when a certain kinetism is introduced into that energy by itself, that energy takes on these innumerable forms. So Shiva as energy can be understood as that base energy that can be both dormant and when, once it introduces the kinetism or the uh, as, as you call it, the movement in itself, that is Kali. Am I confusing here? 
No. No, okay, keep so, going, yeah. Yeah. Without the dynamism, without the kinetic part, without the movement part, the energy essentially is dormant, slipped. This is, again, we, I'm translating this into our understanding as human understanding and experience. But once that kineticism or the dynamism comes into this, then the play starts happening. And the play is all of us. So there is no difference, again, in, in Sanatan Dharma or in, tradition, in Hindu tradition between us, the picture behind you, the headphones, the computer, the chair right here, between this and the original energy. It's just the play of the original energy. It just manifested itself in different forms. By itself, it doesn't do the manifestation. That energy needs the kineticism, who's Kali, or who's the Devi, as, she, as she's popularly known. Once the dynamism is introduced, all these things happen. Without the dynamism, the energy, as far as we are concerned, is considered dead energy. So in case of Shiva, if you take out the E, it's Shava. Shava in Sanskrit means a dead body. Once you introduce the E, it becomes Shiva. And Kali by herself is dynamism. But what do you do with dynamism, kineticism, without energy? So they have to come together and play for either creation, sustenance, or destruction. One is, one is incomplete without other. One by itself is not complete. Now remember, the, as you call it, the source of this, whether it's the dead energy or the kineticism, is the same source. But for our understanding's sake, they have been kind of differentiated. To go back to Shiva as a, as a being, I told you about energy. Go back to Shiva as a being. Shiva as a being, it is understood by many traditions that there was this very elevated being some 15,000 years ago. I know this goes probably against most mainstream history that is thought and understood. But in many traditions, it is understood that Shiva as a being appeared in, in the foothills of Himalayas some 15 plus thousand years ago. Because of his stature, because of his uh, radiance, because of what he exuded, it attracted a lot of people. In the end, what happened was he had these seven disciples to whom he taught the, the science of yoga, science of yogic kriyas. And I'll explain in a minute what that means. And those disciples went into, the legend is those disciples, once they learned, they went into seven different directions, which would be the seven continents we have. And then they taught that system to you know, different people and so on and so forth. So him as a being, he's worshipped as Adi Yogi or the first yogic person or the first person who taught the science of yoga to humanity. Now, so this is Shiva as a being. Shiva as a deity is someone that when you consecrate, remember, creating a deity Takes, there's a certain science of consecration around that. And I'm happy to get into that. 
creating a deity, the idea of creating a deity is who creates the deity? We do. It's not a mandate. It's not someone telling us. The person realizes that there's this energy that can be accessed. But the energy can be accessed in many different forms based on what the access is being used for. For example, if you wanted access to material wealth, you know, you wanted a lot of jewelry and money and big house and a car kind of thing. What you would worship is the goddess of wealth. She is known as Lakshmi. It's interesting. She is, when I talk of, when you talk of Kali, and I'm jumping the gun here, I apologize for that, but just for explanation's sake. When you're worshipping Kali herself in a form that is the goddess of wealth, goddess of munificence, that kind of benefit flows to you. When you worship Shiva, when he's consecrated in a certain way, the most type of benefits that accrue from worshipping Shiva as a deity is it becomes, it creates this sort of distance between you and your life. It gives you a little bit of asceticism. It creates uh, tranquility. It creates peace in your system so that you are able to elevate yourself to understand your true nature. Shiva is a, Shiva is a deity. There are many, many stories around it. I do not like to call them mythology because to people who practice, it is very real. To people who have experienced it, it's very real. But there are many, many stories abound. Typically, Shiva is depicted as this being who looks like a monk. He has long matted hair. Uh, he has a blue throat. He has a third eye on his forehead. He's wearing deer skin and is wearing very meager clothing. He has a trident for a weapon and he has snakes wrapped around his, head, his torso and his neck. Typically, Shiva also is portrayed as having a half moon on his head. And in his matted locks, the river Ganga is flowing out of there. That's the description of Shiva. His friends are who? His friends are not kings and rich people and, you know, beautiful people. His friends are ghosts, demons, what we'd call lower beings. Those are his friends. Where does he stay? He is the happiest in cremation grounds, surrounded by funeral pyres. For his offering, all you have to offer him to worship, depending on the tradition, he's happy with just yogurt and rice. That's it. To decorate himself, what he does is he takes a handful of fresh ashes of a burnt corpse and smears himself with it. That's this is Shiva. my kind of guy. <laughs> so Andrea just must be <laughs> delighted. <laughs> I am That's too. Shiva. I'm like, I have always loved Shiva. Now I know why. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't mean to interrupt oh, you. Oh, no, 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 of course. Digging this. All right. <laughs> so that is Shiva for you. And now remember, all this, when you're talking about it, all this is, they are symbols. It's a lot of symbolism there, right? 
For example, wrapping the snakes around your neck. And we are not talking about a, a, a garter snake. We are talking about extremely poisonous cobras. Now, if you ever get a chance, and I highly recommend you do, is you know there are there is there are many masters, many spiritual masters, who are depicted playing with snakes. The, in every tradition in India, snakes play a very important role, and it is very interesting that they play an important role is because this is explained by a master who's currently very popular. He's a big spiritual master. His name is Sadguru. And I think he uh, he explains it the best for current hour times. The way he explains it is saying that you know snakes are extremely sensitive creatures. They're they're always they are very closest to the ground as opposed to any other creature. Their entire body is on the ground, and they are both deaf, and their their eyesight is horrible. But they're extremely sensitive towards chemistry. So if a snake senses danger, he will be ready to strike. But if a snake does not sense danger, he'll be as playful as your dog. You can pick him up. He could be very poisonous, but you can pick him up. You can play with him. I know for most of us, uh, I think the idea of snakes kind of sends shivers down our spine. Come to think of it playing, I think most of us are probably shivering at the thought of a snake being born in our state, <laughs> leave alone one around us. So for a snake, for Shiva to wrap a snake around his neck, which means his chemistry is in perfect harmony. Mm. And the snake that. is basically showing, hey, you know, I'm based, I'm on a rock. So as a rock can't hurt me, this is how this being whose chemistry is in perfect harmony. All right. That's so amazing. And I have this, a little aside, I have um, a lifelong fear of snakes. I'm working on this um, energy. But one of my earliest memories is a friend of mine that had, they had a, um, a cobra that had been um, stuffed. Oh, well, yeah, it was dead, but it had been stuffed like a I forgot the word that starts with a T. You all know what I'm talking about, taxidermy. right? Taxidermy. Yes, it was a taxidermy yeah. snake. But it, it was frightening to me. But I'm thinking too of the like extremist Christians who have the snake handling yes. services because, because of the Bible verse that says, you know, you should be able to handle snakes and not be harmed. But like they're, they're, those people like get bitten and die a lot. And because their chemistry is probably really off because they're not doing it from a place of, they're doing it from a place of kind of like, I don't know, shook. Um, I mean, it's their version of faithfulness, right? But um, not from a place of honoring the creature, right? but from something else. So I find this really interesting. It's very interesting you say that, that these people want to handle snakes. And in my little study of other spiritual traditions, snakes play a very important role. Either they're very hated or they're very revered. And it's very interesting because what if you get a chance, I highly recommend, and he has many, many YouTube videos, the same master I'm talking about. He's playing around with snakes, and these are not defanged. And they are cobras that are eight, ten foot long. And their poison is will if they strike you, you'll be dead in 10 minutes. And I think Ami is bringing the challenge to us. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, they're not found in the United States. I'm scared I to watch even stay away from snakes, no matter who they are. <laughs> let them go. But you can see that 
how deftly he handles snakes mm. or you know other monks he is trained how they handle snakes he allows you know people to take videos so for shiva is essentially that his chemistry is in perfect equanimity he is the most balanced person so the snake doesn't feel threatened of course there are many legends that get created around it the idea of him being him living in cremation grounds and being the happiest think about it when we are born what do we bring nothing there's not even a stitch of clothing when we go no matter how much we have accumulated um i'm willing to bet 99.99% of the times they are not burying or cremating that accumulation with you they're trying to dispose you off very quickly so that they can enjoy the accumulation <laughs> uh but what ex- essentially it signifies is detachment that this entire play what we call this world or reality or what have you everything belongs to this planet we come here we use it but at the end of the day the planet keeps it nobody want have you heard of anyone picking up their tesla picking up <laughs> their million uh, you know shares in amazon or wherever it is and saying you know by earth i'm going not not yet we're, not we're yet. working on mars but even that's got a plan that's a planet too that so. is a planet exactly right so idea is to inculcate ascetism but idea is to create detachment every spiritual tradition in the indian uh, uh, system if you are initiated into it and if you are serious in going forward with it they actually your master will want you to go and stay in a cremation ground to watch bodies burn to watch get people getting uh, buried and you start doing that over a period of time you suddenly become you start becoming detached because you just see the reality okay this is what is going to happen to me also eventually no matter how beautiful how healthy you know how rich how intelligent you know how many degrees whatever measure you can think of it all ends up there and shiva has attained that he's there he loves it there because he says oh you know what this is all fake where i am at is real who are his friends the disembodied beings and the ghosts and the demons who are these they're all rejects when was the last time you heard someone saying hey i love having ghosts and demons and disembodied beings around me because they yeah, make me so happy i was saying exactly what i do for a living so yes although i don't talk to demons <laughs> no <laughs> but idea is these are all outcasts and the outcasts themselves are his closest friends why because they are outcasts for reasons various esoteric reasons and by making friends with them what he is telling us is hey do not join the ranks of my friends you can transcend this i'm fascinated and resonating um i know like i didn't really know anything about shiva but now i got i'm so curious about kali i'm going to i'm yes, going to go awesome. there i could go on for uh, given the time we have i can go on and on about shiva and i can tell you many 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 stories let's come to kali 
think of kali as mother okay but let's look at kali as a being a deity and an energy i've already explained what kali is in terms of energy let's look at her as a being as a being depending on who the sadhaka or who the uh, seeker is and what appeals to the seeker she takes many forms kali the reason she is called kali is because the depiction is she is dark blue or almost black in color she has four hands in each of the hands she holds a pair of scissors a noose a machete and a freshly severed human head dripping blood she's awesome she's part bellied and she wears a garland of freshly severed human heads around her neck for decoration <laughs> her hair is long matted and dark her tongue is out and it has blood on it dripping she has for a skirt she is wearing severed human hands all around her she is full breasted her eyes are dark scary but there is love in them surprisingly she has a third eye and generally if you look at her you'll probably just die of fright she is standing on a dormant shiva she is standing on a dormant shiva shiva is laying down there asleep or dead and she is standing on him and of course she is surrounded by cremation grounds cremation fires that's a depiction of kali now think of kali again as the primordial mother she can be worshiped in many 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 different forms the traditions range from her being worshiped as let's say the goddess of wealth goddess of wisdom goddess of power goddess of knowledge so and so forth depending as i said on the seeker she can take those forms as a as a deity when she is consecrated depending on the consecration she can take you in different directions now remember what did i tell you about shiva shiva inspires detachment shiva inspires elevation to you know spiritual if it is spiritual realms shiva inspires going back to the original source to find out your true nature kali on the other hand she loves to play and you want to she wants you to play she's like toss this knowing your true nature and all that garbage aside play with me experience with me look how i manifest what do you want you want abundance of money i will give that to you you can experience it but remember don't be attached so essentially she is going back to shiva's message but you know there is a certain amount of uh, je ne sais quoi as i like to call it saying screw that experience this with me i'm much more fun 
He's just going to tell you what your original nature is and that's boring. What's the point? I've created all this, experienced this, experienced the beauty, experienced the ugliness. In, that worship, in her worship, there are many different paths that are taken. Of course, that the same thing with Shiva also. But typically in her worship, many, many different paths are taken. Depending on the form, to the true masters, she has appeared, the legend is that she has appeared in whatever form they worshipped her. The, one of the most famous ones in just about the last 150 years or so, there was a master, his name was Ramakrishna Paramhamsa. She, he was an ardent devotee of hers. And she appeared to him as Bhavatarin, as another benign form of the goddess. But that's the worship of Kali. Uh, as I told you, as a being, she is worshipped in many, many different ways. She is worshipped as many, many different uh, types of mothers. I'll tell you a little bit of a story around Kali. So the legend goes that Shiva and pa Shiva was married to this great goddess, and her name was Sati. Now, Sati was the daughter of the great king, the mountain king Himalaya, or Daksha. Now, Daksha was not happy that a princess should marry a pauper who lives in cremation grounds. What kind of marriage is that? So at every given opportunity, he would insult her and Shiva. But, you know, Shiva paid no attention, of course, and Sati would be a little troubled that why does my father not accept his son-in-law? Anyways, once what happens is Daksha Prajapati conducted this great big ceremony. And he invited even the most lowest being possible to the most highest being possible, except his daughter and Shiva. Everybody assembled, but his daughter and Shiva were not there. Sati heard of it and Sati told her husband, hey, I want to go. And her husband said, why do you want to go and get insulted? Just let it be, let's enjoy. You're with me, I'm with you, we are happy, let's go. Sati still insisted. And, you know, despite Shiva's ministrations, she went. As soon as she went, her father saw her in that great big congregation and said, oh, here comes my pauper daughter who married that useless nothing of a monk. And now look at how shameless she is. I've not invited her or her user's husband, but she's still dared to show up. Probably she wants money from me. Sati, the great goddess, felt really insulted. The, one of the things in the big ceremony was they, were, they had conducted this, had a big fire pit and they were creating this consecrated fire for the benefit of all beings. She got so angry, she jumped in that fire pit. She jumped in the fire pit and died, of course, and Shiva found out about it and he became very angry. Of course, he's the great god. He went around creating all sorts of destruction with her burnt body on his shoulder. Legend has it, another great god used a weapon to disintegrate Sati's body and different parts fell on the ground. Each of those parts became the Devi herself. When I say Devi, which means the mother goddess herself. Uh, so if you go to India, 
there are temples all across the Indian subcontinent, not just India alone, but the Indian subcontinent. We are talking from about Afghanistan all the way to Burma and from about Tibet all the way to Sri Lanka, where her body parts allegedly fell and they became Devi themselves. Some place her eyes fell. Other places her hand fell. One hand fell, other hand fell. Her breasts fell. Uh, you know, her legs fell, her head fell. All these places became consecrated and she is worshipped there. The tradition of worshipping that particular body part of the Devi, of the goddess, continues to this day. Oh, so the different, so um, you might find legs or arms or eyes so, that are for veneration? Yes. So if you go to, let's say there is a temple in the northern part of India, uh, approximately, let's say, about 250 miles north of New Delhi. That temple is called Nayana Devi. Nayana means beautiful eyes. So the, the goddess is consecrated in a way where the eyes are most prominent, and okay. she's worshipped there as that. I, so I have a, um, a question. What, you mentioned kind of your experience from growing up in this you know, secular Hindu household, coming to the United States, continuing your own journey here and that you've had some personal experiences. I'm wondering if there's like one that stands out with Shiva that you might be able to tell us about. What's what's your personal, I don't know if relationship is the right word, but interaction? I will give you two experiences I've had within just this year for both Perfect. the deities. Uh, for Shiva, uh, I can tell you is each year there's one particular day he's worshipped and that typically falls in maybe late February, early March, depending on the calendar. And I conduct a fire ceremony giving oblations to Shiva. What essentially happened to me this year, and again, I will uh, invite you and your listeners to keep this in mind is I don't want you to believe and I, or I don't want you to not believe also. It's just keep an open mind. This is my experience. If someone was to perform the same thing, they may not have the same experience. I don't know. It's my own experience. Is there was an inspiration which came to me while I'll do, I was doing that. And inspiration is the right word because that's, I'm describing an experience. I, cannot, I can only use words that are somewhat relevant. Right. Where it prompted me to go towards her. Something insisted saying, this is not the time for you to worship me. Go to her, go to her, go to her. And I think my question was like, why? Why? And it was like, go to her. I said, okay, I will go to her. After a little bit of time, you know, it our New Year's in, in our, the region I'm from, our New Year is celebrated around late March, early April, depending on the time frame. And I conduct, Devi worship during that time. So when I was conducting that worship and that fire ceremony, what she told me essentially, the message I got was, good, you're here now that he's told you to come to me. Good, I'm glad you have not put up with any resistance. Continue with me and I'm going to lead you now. I've led you in the past, but you're now going to be led in a little more active way. Throughout this year, it is very interesting that things have happened, circumstances have happened, situations have happened, where I'm suddenly questioning why I'm doing what I'm doing. 
why I'm, there's absolutely no rhyme or reason for me to do it, but I'm doing it. And then there's there's some answer that suddenly comes to me saying, ha ha, I'm directing you, shut up. (laughs) That's 2020 for you, right there. Right. Um, In other ways, also the inspiration has come to me where someone that I follow and I respect them and their opinions and their spiritual uh, uh, development, is they recommended, for example, that this particular year, their thought was that, you know, the whole situation we are going through is her play. And she's deliberately brought forth this play. Kali. Kali. And if you want to kind of, and this play is not just for this year, it's apparently going to continue according to them, which is a little distressing. But to get through this play properly and easily and without much harm, just worship her. And that was completely said independent of the messages I got. And I was thinking, huh, okay. Until very recently again, as I was going through my practices, again, saying, oh, good, you're doing this, continue doing this. I'm there, I'm there, I'm listening. I'm taking, I'm taking cognizance, as Andrea would understand, the lawyer speak. Good, continue, continue, continue. And it is very interesting that by hook or by crook, as I experience it, I've been led down this path. Sometimes it strikes and you suddenly realize, wow, the play is phenomenal. Nobody can think of all these small variables coming together. So these are some of my experiences. I can talk about a bit more esoteric stuff, but again, this is just an introduction. Yeah, no, those are those are beautiful. I think they'll resonate with our listeners. And I... I imagine, I mean, I I know I've certainly woken up in the past and been like, why? What's happening? Why am I here? What's, why am I doing what I'm doing? So I love it that that's such a human question and that you got this really clear um, image, impression, message. So I worship her in a, uh, sorry to cut you off. I worship her in a form that has been most appealing to me. And I encourage all of you to look her up is her name is Lalita Tripurasundari. Will you send that to us and we can put it in the show notes? I will. Don't worry, listeners, you don't have to sound that out phonetically. No, you don't. <laughs> Lalita Tripurasundari. Lalita means the playful one. Tripurasundari, the most beautiful one in all the three worlds. And uh, there's a particular hymn dedicated to her, her thousand names, and then uh, and that is the most appealing form to me because I recite it, I listen to it, and she's been described in a beautiful detail. And I'll give you some experts in terms of that, you know. Her, her lips are as red as the pomegranate flower or her jewelry, her body parts, everything is described, her body, her mind, how she looks at the devotees, how she takes on this Kali form to vanquish the enemies, how she is the upholder of all the worlds. And that is the one form that is very appealing to me as a person. And I've taken to that. And that ties in with Kali in terms of, this is another way Kali is worshipped, Tripura Sundari, the beautiful one. And so the heads, the heads and the hands and this kind of, 
I don't know if it's a warrior image with her. That is, that's her going to battle for... And remember, there's symbolism there. Right. The noose. The noose is to signify the noose of the world. And she's conquered it. She, she's held it by like that, saying, okay, what are you going to do now? Nothing can affect me positively or negatively. Mm, okay. For us humans, everything is either a positive or a negative experience. The scissors, she cuts. Any news that is brought forth to us, she's like, cut off. Oh, I love that. The severed human heads and, you know, uh, the garland she's wearing or the blood dripping in her hand or the drinking of her blood, all these go into the idea of karma. Many of your listeners and you may have heard of the word karma as such. All these go into the karmic aspects, which unfortunately we don't have time to get into. But all this imagery is essentially symbolism to show the seeker, to show the person who's worshipping or whoever is you know, going in that path that, hey, the mother goddess is there in any form that appeals to you. Her ultimate goal is what the goal of Shiva is. They are not two different beings. They manifest themselves like that and play around. One says, that play is fun, but you know who wants to have fun? Let's do meditate. <laughs> and the other one says, oh, screw meditation. Play with me. <laughs> I feel like you've just described my interior life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can you share a little bit about the caste system and how that plays into this Kali Shiva, like this whole experience? I will try to condense it the best of possible uh, way from my understanding. So there is the reality of caste in India, and then there is the idea of caste. Caste itself is something of a newer thing in India, according to at least my understanding and research. When you look up caste system, you know, you'll get a lot of articles. Of course, they're from more mainstream history as such, and they will describe it in a certain way. I profoundly disagree with that. Why? Because, and I'll give you the reason. The idea for started off, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, reality for us. I'm not talking about social reality right now. I'm talking of an idea. The idea is that within a human being, or within all of us, it's, we are divided into four paths, right? There's the mind, there's the hands, there's the body, and then there's the feet. Broad four divisions in terms of thinking, doing, sustenance, and carrying. So which of these paths are not important? Can you please tell me? What if I take away two legs? What if I take away two arms? What if I decide, you know what? I don't need the stomach. Let me just cut it out. How about I take the brain away? So which is the most important part? Every part is important and has its own function. So the idea of quote-unquote caste comes from this. That every person has these dispositions. Some people are more brain-oriented, some people are more arms or work-oriented, some people are oriented in terms of sustenance, and other people are oriented service. 
So there, and that was translated into people's lives. There was the whole idea of spirituality also. Then there is a whole idea of type of work people do also. And then there's the whole idea of your own personal disposition also. And that was kind of translated into a social reality saying, hey, we can divide the society into these four groups. And these groups need to interact. And the groups are pretty porous. You could be a Brahmin, but you could become a so-called lower caste because of your disposition. If, as a Brahmin person, you were expected to follow a very rigid lifestyle, no accumulation, living off arms, only begging in the engagement of or in the pursuit of intellectual or spiritual, more spiritual than intellectual. The intellectual was to aid you in spiritual development. As someone focused on the arms, the warrior class, you were the kings and the, you know, the administrators who ran the, the kingdom or what have you. Your job was to administer. Your job was to protect. As, as the, third, uh, the third part was the Vaishyas. Their job was to carry on the commerce and the trade and so on and so forth. Without them, it is impossible. And the fourth one was the service class, the Shudras. Their job was service. So typically, if you apply that idea in current form, most of us would be Shudras today no matter what family we are born in. I work for a job. So many other people work for a job, no matter what the caste is. Unfortunately, that got distorted a whole lot and there are social realities. People like to organize themselves in a hierarchical way, no matter what country or what society it is. And then we, of course, love to distinguish ourselves like, oh, hey, I have a law degree and you have a BA, so I'm more superior than you are or as we are seeing even in the current uh, electoral scenario, there's this group of people who vote for, voted for this candidate, so they are you know, deplorables or they are nationalists, that kind of thing. So the idea stems from that, and then there is, of course, the reality people have been discriminated against and things like that. But within that idea, there are many other levels of understanding and practice. Within that idea, there is people moving up in up and down through the hierarchy all the time. And it's not really a hierarchy as such. As I explained to you, if you look at your body, would you cut your leg off and put it where your head is? Would you cut your eyes off and put it under your feet? You won't do any. The body is the way it is. And each part of the body has to function optimally for all of it to come together. And that's what the idea was that if you are, let's say, quote-unquote, a Brahmin, or if you are a Shudra, which is the quote-unquote lowest caste. So that's a little I'm giving you. There are many other uh, details in it that I can fill in. It's a much long and much debated subject from many different points of views. But this is something I've given you. And so do Shiva and Kali play into the caste system particularly? They actually do, depending on how they are worshipped. Remember, typically if you say Brahmins, they will not worship Kali in her form, as I described to you with the pot-bellied one, things like that. Okay. Typically they will not. They'll be but Shivaites. That's very, that's very regional specific. Okay, okay. Okay? But for most people, her worship in that way is not recommended. Okay. 
So they will worship her in benign forms as you know the goddess of wealth, goddess of learning, and so on and so forth. Shiva, because he inspires ascetism, he inspires you to become a monk. His worship is typically done as a householder, that you know him and Kali are a couple, and let's worship them like that. Because in a society, if everyone became a monk, how is the society going to function? <laughs> right. So you have something on those lines. As you go around India, what you will see is that there are many, many different variations of both these deities and how they are worshipped. Typically, and I'm talking in contemporary times, and when I say contemporary times, let's say the last thousand years, the Indian subcontinent, especially the northern part, experienced a lot of brutal invasions. And because of the invasions, a lot of older traditions were either hidden away or were modified. Many times they were lost. But they still continue in a way where people will, depending on what their family history was, depending on what they appeal, people will worship Shiva. For example, Shiva in his monk form, I described to you, but in southern part of India, he's also worshipped as Sundareshwar. Sundareshwar, the deity of the most beautiful one. Sundareshwar. And he's dressed in all his finery, jewels and glittering gold and clothes, beautiful, you know, silk clothes. We are talking about Shiva here, who likes to smear himself with dead ashes. But he's worshipped like that. If you go to the eastern side of India, in the state of Bengal, Kali is worshipped in her fierce form. She's shown as someone with the tongue hanging out and the blood dripping and so on and so forth. If you go slightly towards northeast India, she is worshipped as a female body part. She is worshipped as the yoni, which literally translates to a vagina. I'm... I'm I apologize if I'm using the word, which is not... It's not, a, it's not a dirty word, and Gwyneth Paltrow has introduced us to Yoni, so thank you for clearing that up, actually. So she's worshipped as a Yoni there. So she, her, she is actually worshipped as a Yoni there. There's a temple dedicated to her where the legend is that when Sati's body part fell, the Yoni fell there. She goes through the menstrual process every month. The legend has it, and I think I may have observed it myself, it's a big rock, uh, the size of about, I don't know, maybe 20 by 20. It's a rock. And it, just a flat rock. And there's water that flows over it. The water turns red three times a month. Uh, sorry, three days a month. Again, do I know if someone's coloring the water? I don't know. Possible. But people worship her there. Even if they are, I must see this one day. Kamakya. This is on so, my list. Uh, that's the temple. And the legend around the temple is that if you go there once, she will call you back twice again. Oh, okay. I'll go when I know it's I have time. It's not a one-time trip. All right. I can, get, I can get behind that. So like that, as I said. And if you go in certain other parts, she is worshipped as Chinnamasta, the one who has no head, or the one who cuts her head off, holds her head in her hand, and drinks her own blood. Yeah, she's, she's fierce. She's, she's a badass. Oh, she's a big okay, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so these are some of the ways I've given you. And again, in some places, she's, you know, small parks. She's worshipped as that. Sheetala Devi. 
in some place. So if you kind of start getting into it, it's very interesting that even the diseases themselves, the viruses and the bacteria, these are all her play. So they are not exempt from being worshipped as such. Mm. It's interesting. As I have a quick question. Of as course. Americans, or, and most of our listeners do not come from a background of Indian culture, is it okay? Is it respectful? How do we approach these beings in a respectful manner? Um, can we approach them? Or do we really not have much of a choice in it? And if they call us, then... <laughs> the way I've understood and I was telling Katie this is, you have to understand this is all her play. Yeah. There is no escaping her because we are her. And she is us. So if she is someone that wants you to approach her as, you know, as a separate entity, let's call her that, mm-hmm. she will inspire you. As she has inspired me, it's, sometimes it's a slap in your face. <laughs> sometimes it's a tumble down the stairs. Sometimes it's just, you know, you eating, I don't know, a cookie. But she will inspire you. And she'll draw you towards her. Is there a right way or a wrong way? Absolutely not. There are many, many legends of where people have spat or people have thrown feces and worshipped her like that. And then there are legends where people have sacrificed themselves, cut their heads off. So remember, at the end of the day, the idea is that it is the play between her and him. And if she's the one creating the play as well as the play things, she's the one to inspire you. How do you approach this in contemporary ways? Well, when you say respect, I would say that as, again, to go back to Bible, is do unto others. I think that's one of the most famous verses. Yeah, yeah. And that's the best way to approach If you are respectful, if you kind of try to understand and try to participate, try to follow, most 90 out of 100 times, people will be open and accepting. And they understand you have the handicap and limitation of not knowing. I will give, there are 10 people or 10% of the times, yes, people will take it a little farther. That happens everywhere. As I said, dogma and orthodoxy. But nine out of 10 times, people will be open and accepting. People will try to answer to the best possible way. Can you bring her in your own house and do things? Absolutely. She has no limitation in terms of who can worship, who cannot worship, whatever appeals to you. I do not know whether you have heard of the, this very famous treatise called Bhagavad Gita. Uh, there's a very famous verse. Bhagavad Gita is about, uh, it's a very revered, let's say, document in, in, the, in the Sanatana Dharma tradition. There's one verse that says, Patram Pushpam Phalam Toyam Yome Bhakta Prayachati. It literally translates to that, whatever the devotee offers me, I'm happy with it. You want to offer me a glass of water? I'm happy. Or you want to offer me a flower or a leaf or a fruit, I'm happy. 
What I'm looking for is your emotion. If your emotion is genuine, I don't need anything. And that in my personal experience plays out beautifully. I'll tell you for, I cook almost every day. And you know, my cooking, and then there's a ceremonial cooking that I do for different ceremonies and festivals and so forth. When the offering is done, when I'm cooking with the thought in my mind that this first has to be offered to the deities, the food takes on a special flavor. There's nothing different I do. But it simply does. And for some reason, touch wood, it never messes up. <laughs> no burning, no messing up on salt, nothing. It comes out beautifully. So my joke is, look at these two people. They will always ensure that their food is good. Screw <laughs> <everyone>. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Oh, that's great. So uh, again, going back to the original question, no, there are, there are no rules, there are no regulations. Typically for most, to again use the word, for most Hindu traditions, for most Hindu worship, it is expected that you have body purity, which means, you know, you have gone to the bathroom, you have taken a shower, you have put on fresh clothes. Typically, again, most traditions, non-vegetarian food is not eaten, typically. But there are many communities who will offer non-vegetarian food to the goddess or even Shiva, and it is happily accepted. And that is also the offering that is given to the rest of the devotees. But for most traditions, it is also expected that if you are worshipping or if you are going to someone's house for the worship, is to be respectful. If you don't understand it, that's okay. Most people will be happy to answer the questions to the best of their ability. But they don't want any kind of judgment. They don't want any kind of you know, making fun. They don't want like, oh, these heathens or oh, these backward people, no people of science, that kind of thing. You know what I mean. Yeah, so base, basic respect. Basic respect. And curiosity. Uh, many temples in India, if you go to, unfortunately, for a variety of historical reasons, do limit. Many temples do that who can go in. Typically, you will see non-Hindus not allowed. Okay. Many older temples. But many temples permit non-Hindus to enter. So just to be mindful of that. And it can be, if you, if you are visiting a temple, an Indian temple or a Hindu temple in your area, it can be a pretty chaotic experience. It is not, there is not much decorum. There is not, you know, someone speaking and everybody sitting down in pews and quietly listening and getting up and all that. People are coming, going in and out, and you know there are bells ringing and conches going on, and fire ceremonies being conducted, and children playing around. And it's just chaos. <laughs> and for first timers, you think, oh, you know, what is this? Where is the world? Why is nobody keep quiet? But within that, there's a certain tranquility. Within that, there's a certain bliss. You are supposed to sit in front of the deity that has been proper if it's if they have been properly consecrated. And let your energies kind of mingle, turn inwards a little. And then you're supposed to get up, take the food that they give you for offering, eat that. Usually for most Indian temples in this country, uh, usually there's like a food offering as well. Along with the main offering, there's a food offering also, so you can go and partake that. And they're very happy. They're very, they will not prevent anybody. But a basic amount of respect and dignity is uh, expected. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. 
I hope that helps. If there are any other follow-up questions, I'm happy to answer. Thanks. So I have one last question. Of course. In relation to all that's come into your life with Kali and Shiva, if there was one message that you were to leave our listeners, what might that be? The message would be is whatever tradition or faith you're following, right? Keep an open mind. That is the most important thing you can do. And this is based on my personal experience. You get a lot of messaging from a variety of sources these days. Some sources are complementary, other sources are negative. But the idea for within you should remain that, hey, you know, this path feels to me. And I'm going to go forward and experience whatever this path has to offer. Yes, you know, people will talk of fantastic experience and people will talk of it being completely false and, you know, trash. And either extremes are not good in my opinion. My opinion would be to try working, walking in the path of experiencing whatever you're able to. And then gradually building those experiences. Which means, again, to quote the master that I follow, I, mean, I was still talking to you about Sadhguru in reference to snakes and things like that. I think, again, he says it beautifully is, acknowledge that you don't know. Acknowledge your ignorance. Once you know that you don't know, once you admit, hey, I don't know, the possibility of knowing arises, which is moving away from belief. You start off with belief. And... Once the possibility of knowing arises, then it's a very short walk from the possibility to the actual knowing. Which means whether, you know, experience is the biggest thing. And how do you get experience to have an open mind? To go back to a story of Shiva, to wrap this up, Shiva is also described as a bottomless dark pit. For a devotee to fall in that bottomless dark pit, it's the safest thing to do. There's no bottom. What are you going to hit? <laughs> I love that. There's no bottom. Isn't it the safest? So the idea is to approach things like that. It has worked for me in my personal life. I'm, I will definitely not claim any kind of enlightenment or anything of that sort. But I do tell people is... Whatever traditions you come from, try understanding those a little. You know, peel off the orthodoxy, peel off the dogma. And you'll suddenly start, at least in my experience, you'll start seeing that it makes a lot of sense. It propels you. It propels you forward. And that's the message I would leave your listeners with. I hope that was coherent. Very much. Wonderful. Thank you. We appreciate your time, Amit. Thank you for all the sharing today. All Thank that you, you brought us and our listeners. All right, everyone. Wow, what an interview that was. So much information that we received. And I just want to take a moment for us just to reflect on what this may have brought up for us as shares and what has been present, any messages, anything that wants to be shared. Andrea, would you like to share first of just... I have so much that I'm going to try to keep it just a little bit. But for me, um, you know, Amy, right at the beginning when you said, I don't, are these deities? Are they beings? Is it an energy? I loved how he addressed all of that because 
I have really connected with the energy of Shiva as being something so much a part of myself. And same with the energy of Kali as being very much a part of myself, um, that it's hard for me to see them as separate deity or separate beings. They don't feel like a separate being coming into my arc field, let's say like an angel or a past loved one. They feel very much right in the middle of the core of my being. And I will tell you the reason Shiva initially caught my attention was in a good old fashioned American yoga class when I first learned of him, but I was unhappy with my job. I was going through the longest breakup in the history of breakups, I think. (laughs) And I was like, I'm really acknowledging all this power of destructive energy in myself. And that actually feels more like Kali, but just that sense of destruction or that space. I, I really sat with that for a long, like I sat with that energy for about a couple of years. <laughs> really powerful. And it just something super funny to me is when he said Kali might slap you in the face, or maybe you take a tumble down the stairs. <laughs> I realized, so my current husband, my love, um, we knew each other for a really long time before we ever got together. And we, as friends, before we started dating, we had planned to go see a movie uh, one night. And I woke up that morning, my foot hit the top of the stairs, and I fell all the way down an entire hardwood set of stairs, entire flight I fell for so long, I had time to actually stop and think, I am still falling. (laughs) That night, I was like, something happened to me. I was black and blue all over. I didn't break anything. But as I was driving up to the movie theater to meet the man who is now my husband, I literally could see him in a different light. And we've joked that I must have hit my head falling down the steps because that night changed our path. And I looked at him and thought, why am I not dating him? Yeah. So when he said, I think that was college. She shoved me down the steps so I could see this gem of um, a man who was right under my nose. How long ago was that, Andrea-ish? Um, over 10 years ago, we're going to be celebrating 10 years of being married this, this year. That was over 10 years ago. Wow. So these beings have kind of been part of your path for quite a while. Didn't know that was, you know, but yeah, I think they have been in, in more ways than I'm aware of, which is truly the mystery of how I think all these beings work. Did you have any messages or experiences as we've, you know, from previously when we decided, okay, this is who we're going to be talking about for this podcast? Is there anything else that came up for you that you want to share? I would invite people to sit with some drum beats um, and really sit with the capacity of destruction you have in yourself. And I want to actually put a spin on the word destruction. This is some of what I wrote down uh, as Amit was talking. Um, Sit with it without fear because there's the whole creative force energy is half construction, half destruction. 
and we have to destruct what no longer serves us or cut it out, like Kali with the scissors, cutting it out, cut out from your life what no longer serves you. And a lot of us think destroy, destruct is a very negative thing. But if we can actually look at it as just sometimes a necessary energy to keep things moving and to just sit with sit with that energy in yourself, sit with your own power, your own capacity to destruct and destroy and have it be a very empowered, empowering feeling. I was just last night to a group of people teaching about cord cutting and like, and do, yeah, they're really like just getting all this energetic stuff off of you that doesn't, you know, that doesn't belong there. And so every time he was talking about Kali and like the scissors and cutting away the things that don't serve, I was like, yup. Yeah, it all, yeah, it's all there. Yeah, let it go, let it go. (laughs) Yes. That totally brings something up for me. So previously cord cutting has come into my life. And now instead of cutting the cord, because sometimes I, there's this experience of like, kind of want to like maybe tie a knot or something at the end of that cord, right? Instead of cutting the cord, I just send that divine light and let the divine to clear, heal, sever, whatever it is that needs to take place. So transmute it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And like I, one of the questions I asked people last night is they were kind of making a list of what they wanted to work on. And so cord cutting for listeners is just this idea that like energy can get attached to us and that's what can keep us um, in when you have those thoughts, when your thoughts return to some problem over and over and over again, or some person or energy over and over and over again that you don't really want it to, there's some kind of energetic attachment. So cord cutting is helping get rid of that. And uh, so I asked my people last night, though, I was like, just look at your list and um, intuitively think about if any of those need to be transmuted rather than cut. Yeah, because to me, it's a little bit of a different energy. Yes. And, uh, and I was like, we want to cord cut the things that like, really, we don't like, we don't yes. want them anymore. They don't need to be transformed into something new. And I was like, right. it's all energy anyway, you know, but uh, that kind of cut everyone's list in half. Yeah. And that goes back to that, that gratitude when we're given something, no matter what that is. And so we might see whatever that is that we're given of, I don't like this doesn't feel good. I don't like it. How can I give gratitude? For it. And I kind of want to, this also brings up uh, a message that came up for me is the generous boundaries. So there is a generosity, okay, and it is clear on whatever that is like, yes, no, that generous boundary. So that's allowing us to, to honor that cutting of whatever it is that we need to cut. And it's also the being generous to ourselves and in return that is being generous to others and allowing that space for them. Katie, is there anything else that this has brought up for you? Anything that you'd like to share in relation to what took place today or the last couple of weeks for you? Sure. Um, I would say Shiva and Kali are pretty new to me. Like I knew that image of Kali and that was pretty much it. Like Shiva, when... I mean, it was describing Shiva. I was like, I, I don't think I've ever, I don't consciously remember seeing visual depictions of Shiva, although I'm sure I have. And so these are all brand new. I got to say what I'm loving about Kali is this, uh, this primordial mother, something about the word primordial was really resonating with me with like heads and feet hanging off of her. No more June Cleaver, 
done. I'm done with the fifties oh. image of the, yes. <laughs> of the mother, so this primordial mother. And it was reminding me of Maman Brigitte. Mm. Really? It was like just the energy a little oh. bit with this kind of fierce, this fierce motherly love. That's also not afraid to be like a little sexy, a little, um, yeah. a little butchery when needed, right? Like cut off all those ties. So that was, was resonating with me the most. And I love it that she can't be separated from Shiva. And because I definitely within me, like I was saying with Amit, I have this um, kind of aesthetic, detached, seeking enlightenment part of me. But then I'm also like, let's play a game. Yeah. 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 At the same time, let's experience life. Like we're, we're embodied. Let's do it. And so. Hardcore experience it. I think that I love, I, I want a Kali figurine. You need one. In full like technicolor <laughs> start looking for one i i might even like she might even actually need to have blood dripping <laughs> i well, i love it the the temple with the um the honors the kali uh with the with menstrual cycle yeah it's like wait yoni vagina can we say that i'm like yes yeah, say it but you know like when a paltrow and goop and like she's done all that stuff with like the yoni stones but has completely taken it out of hindu kali culture what is it? I, I was gonna ask you. About she like that. I there's like oh we'll have to we'll have to Google it and like no knocks okay. for anyone that loves Gwyneth. Um, I like her in her younger years, uh, uh, and I like some of her work. But yeah, she has these like promotes these like yoni stones where you put them up your vagina and you help strengthen your vagina. So I guess they're kind of like vagina oh weights, but with some kind of spiritual <laughs> dimension to them. Yeah, but yeah. like I don't think she ever talks about it in terms of Hindu culture or, or Kali or at least like the presentation is a little more. Mm-hmm white rich american how she presents it so when he said yoni i was like i know yoni yeah <laughs> oh gosh, i have no idea oh, really? there's like these eggs that you can put in okay so for the females to yeah put like in, egg shape yeah. yeah and so they're made of stones gosh. some of them are jade some of them are like rose quartz and so for those who connect to stones in more of a spiritual way stones can be used for healing reasons and that is kind of what this is to work with as well as all that katie said and probably more than what i i don't even know all that's involved but that's coming to my awareness as well yeah but i love y'all i'm gonna leave i'm gonna leave my crystals on my window (laughs) there's a lot of potential if you don't have a smooth crystal for things to go badly like badly being polished people these need to be tumbled and polished yes there's made so there's companies out there that make these for this reason yeah but sometimes if you get them and they're too heavy things go poorly as well (laughs) the Uh right size and weight people the right size and weight for (laughs) which we must require some experimentation (laughs) oh so but like that part of Kali like yeah let's like recognize this like divine yes the divine feminine in all of its forms not only the sweet form right and that yeah, it brought up. I was like, "Well, maybe our magical mystical journeys is going to expand into a real life journey." I would love to. Oh my gosh! Ex- I, I thought that exact same thing, Amy. I was like, "We all just, we're gonna do like it. follow Katie to India. It's all on our list. We should totally do it." I love that. Yeah, that would be awesome. All right, you all heard it here first. We're stating this intention at the end of 2020. Because we need a little, we need a little light for 
2021, 22, 23. Right. <laughs> we can all travel. Yes. We're, we'll make this happen. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, how fun. So when it comes to Shiva and Kali, I had never ever heard until his share of how Shiva was kind of like the dormant energy, that seed. And Kali being that like that movement energy. So here's this idea, right? This that's the dormant stage. And then the actual doing of this, of this creation, this happening would be the Kali energy coming into play. And so in connection to Shiva and Kali, for me, I, Shiva wasn't really in, in my awareness, even though I set the intention, but never like that energy was not present until today, I guess. Uh, it was Kali that made herself, the, that energy known to me in a couple different forms. And so at first I was like, how does Kali and Shiva tie into the spirit of money? Cause it was the spirit of money that was showing up for me. And so I love being able to see, oh, it's the abundance piece. I see like all that he shared today. I was like, ah, okay. I'm, I, I get this now. This is maybe this is totally Kali showing herself in this form to, to me. And it's so funny because I had a new experience in relation with that just yesterday, but I'm going to save that for a different episode because that feels important to uh, allow this to continue on. And also, Amy, when um, the idea of manifesting, you know, creating and movement is manifesting, which we all associate manifesting with money. So the fact that that spirit, you were, you were feeling that she was oh, calling yeah. you. It was luxury. Yeah. Big, big time. And yeah. And I loved the, you know, if you want this, Kali's like, okay, just don't get too attached. It will one right. day be, yeah, it will one day be destroyed. You know? Yep. I, yep. I think to me that brings up, all right, universe, this is what I want. Okay. And then when we have the inspired, you know, call to do whatever it is, we follow that and we let go. We just trust in the process. Like, Spirit meets us halfway and we have to show up halfway. Yeah. And can't control the outcome. Absolutely. I always tell people, no, you can't control the outcome, but you can ask for what you want. How it shows up is none of your business. Let the universe figure that out. Let the spirit world figure that out, how it's going to show up and come into your life. Right. To me, also brought up, brought up saying yes to the power within, like, That is asking for what we want, knowing that we may or may not receive. It is that gen- the generosity that we give and also the generosity to ourselves of the boundaries. It is that it showed up um, on Halloween for me. I had a friend, and I shared this with you too, but I want to share it with the listeners as well because the Kali energy was present for this. So that death, the death aspect that shows up in our lives, you know, maybe we've lost someone that's really meaningful to us. And maybe it's a lot of people that we've lost in a short amount of time. That's hurtful. That sucks. You know, that is that like chopping off off of heads in a sense. And also within that, so here's this fear that arises of like, I'm afraid to be close to any of my friends because I'm afraid that I'm going to lose them. And I love that she shared with me that, yes, it is that which destroys, 
and is also that which is the magic that I thrive in. So when we are thriving, when we are dancing, when we are playing, that is that energy of Kali. And that is, I guess, that's basically my experience of um, of what I have had. So for me, if we were to leave our listeners with a final share on my end of what to expect in relation to these beings, I was very much guided not to find out too much information out there, not to connect to what already was out there, but to set the intention of, of, all right, Kali Shiva, show me who you are. Show me what you want me to know and see how that shows up. So for me, it has shown up with the spirit of money, making herself known to me in a very strong, fun, beautiful story way, as well as the awareness of through my friend of that death and also the magic that we experience that we thrive in when we are surrounded with these loved ones that just, Oh my gosh, the experiences that we have with these people. Yeah. Andrea, anything else that you might want to share of what people might expect or anything else? I think that I've shared everything. Okay, Katie, how about yourself? I think the only final thing is that it's the uh, stagnation that is deathly mm. that we need, you know, in, in any relationship, including yes. with ourselves, that stagnation is what, um, what will do us in. And Shiva and Kali are in this, you know, dynamic dance together. And so we can just uh, put on your dancing shoes and get shaken. Yeah. And who knew maybe uh, COVID was totally Shiva showing up for us. That's true. Both of them, yeah. Yep. Both of Both them. Both of them. Kali. Yeah. We have. Was it Kali or was yeah, it Shiva have, that shows up as that like that energy? Oh, it was Kali. Kali. Okay. Could show as the viruses. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Yes. What a great way of looking at it. Yeah. So here we are. Right. Well, thank you all for listening, and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Magical Mystical Journeys. You can also email us at magicalmysticaljourneys.com at gmail.com. And Katie, anything else I might be missing that we want to share with our listeners? Yeah, if you, uh, we'd love to have you on our mailing list. We have a couple of special things coming up. Uh, we definitely want people on our email list get first dibs at all of our workshops and things like that. So you might want to join that. You can just jump on our email list at our website, which is magical-mystical-journeys.com. I sign up. We don't spam you. We just send out a few things a month, but we want you to get all the, all the goods. And if you like this, hit like or review us, rate us, anything. Uh, take a few minutes and do that right now. That would be awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye.